12 years ago, we started this church, Outward Church. It was a group of people that wanted to see a church that would be full of young people. And today, this church has grown into uh, many different age groups, but it certainly is a generation, a generation of people that have come together to worship and praise Jesus in a new and fresh way. Not that it's any different or better than any other Bible-believing church in our city, but it's a different expression in some respects. But God uh, put on my heart many years ago to start this church. I remember thinking to myself, like, what would it be like to be a part of a church that was filled with a group of people that are passionate about Jesus and serving him on a regular basis? What would that be like? But here I was, a guy who hadn't gone to college. I barely finished high school. I mean, barely. I did not get my diploma when I walked, uh, you know, for graduation. I had to go back to Chemeketa, no offense to Chemeketa, but went to Chemeketa, had to finish, I think it was a chemistry class. I hate chemistry, hate it. And so I had to go back, take this class, had to, had to finish up uh, high school, had to go back in there. I think I did it a couple of years later. So I, not only was I a second year senior, but really I didn't even graduate at that point. And it was prob- I was probably like a third or fourth year senior at this point. Just nobody knew it. So here I am, a high school dropout that barely passed high school. And God had put on my heart a desire to start something that was different than, than really something that I had ever seen before. And so God put this on my heart, but what I ran into on a regular basis was this idea that, that Matt, uh, you're not there. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the qualifications. And they were right in many respects. I was not qualified. I was not any of those things. But God had put a burning passion on my heart to start something. I didn't know it was a church at that time. But God gave me a passion for young people to see them in the local church and to see them engaged in what Jesus is doing in our city. And so we started this church uh, 12 years ago with the encouragement and blessing of other uh, godly men and women in our city. And they came alongside of us and mentored me along the way and mentored us as a church in, in so many respects. And so today, what you're witnessing here is just the blessing of God and using a high school dropout that was just involved in construction uh, to, to do something that uh, outside of myself, uh, or in, in myself, I could never accomplish on my own. So God be glorified for what he's doing in this church today. And there's many, many other leaders who have joined that call to be a part of Jesus Church. And my encouragement to you is to join Jesus Church this morning with what he's doing here and now at Outward Church. That is my encouragement to you today. We're beginning a series called Essentials. And we're going to take the next seven weeks, this week included, to talk about what it is, what it, what it means to be a Christian. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but it is a list of things that we believe as elders, the the men that lead this church, I as the lead elder, lead pastor, this is what we believe that God has put on our hearts for our church at this time, and really his church, I should say. This is what God has put on our heart at this time as to what this generation, what this group of people needs today. 
And so what we've, we've come together to do is to really talk about what does it mean to be, actually be a Christian. We know that there's a lot of uh, ideas out there. There's stereotypes. There's, there's ways of thinking about what it looks like to actually be a Christian. And many times, the, all of those fail, and they miss the mark. And oftentimes, we attend church, but we don't necessarily understand, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing other than attending church? What is it that God wants from me? What is it that God is calling me to through Jesus Christ? And that's a question uh, that is very difficult to answer sometimes by us. Because there's different churches that have different ideologies. And there's different people that pick up this and they say, it's this or it's that. Such as, it's conservatism or republicanism. Uh, politics. It's, uh, it's th this uh, rallying cry. It's this uh, type of worship. It's this type of uh, gathering. It's this place. It's this building. It's all of those things. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does God want for me in my life? And you may have come in today with very uh, little interest in who God is and what he means. You may be on the verge of atheism or already there. You may be somebody who's just been in church all of your life and there's no sense of passion. And you look at other people and you say, I don't have any type of passion like they have. Like you're sitting here kind of looking at people who are worshiping, raising their hands, singing loudly. And the sense that you have might be, I don't get it. I'm not even sure I want it kind of a deal. And so what I'm here to hopefully stir up in you today is a desire to do what God wants you to do. To do what God wants you to do. What does that look like? If you want to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus is speaking to a group of people in the temple. And there's some Pharisees that are there. These are people who are against Jesus often. But they're Jewish people, as it says here in the first verse. And so Jesus has just been explaining to them why they should receive his testimony about himself. So Jesus is saying, I vouch for me because I, I, I have spoken with the Father. I am with the Father, and so you should believe me. And some of the Jews say, that's not legitimate. You can't vouch for yourself. Jesus is saying, I'm different. I get to vouch for myself. And so he explains some things to, to them. And it says in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. In fact, if we back up one verse, it actually says this. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 30. Verse 31, so, the Jews said to, uh, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, abide means to remain or to stay or to live in my word, you are truly my disciples. A disciple, uh, we'll explain that in a minute. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, I want to focus in here for just a second. First of all, I want to note one thing, and that is that I did not know we were doing a new, a new song today uh, that has to do with verse uh, 36. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So clearly, this is blessed by God. So uh, they didn't know I was doing this passage, and, and I didn't know they were doing that song. So uh, praise God for that. That was kind of cool. Uh, but this passage has been ringing in my ears over the last couple of weeks. And the passage, and the reason why it speaks to me is it says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And the reason why that stuck out to me is because we have a, a vision statement here at Outward Church, which says this, and we'll put it on the screen for you. At Outward, Outward Church exists to make disciples who love Jesus and live outward. We exist to uh, make disciples of Jesus Christ that love him and want to live outward for him. They want to live outside of themselves, not for themselves, but for other people. We exist to make disciples. We're going to be breaking this down and show you where we see this statement in the scriptures and show us how this is like, for us, this is the irreducible minimum of what it looks like to be a Christian here at Outward Church. What this is saying is this, is that we want to make disciples. But the first thing we have to ask is this, is what is a disciple? What, is a, what does it even mean to be a disciple? When we talk about that word, it oftentimes loses its meaning. It doesn't really, it doesn't really say anything to us. It's kind of thrown around easily. You can ask someone, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? We don't normally talk like that, but somebody might say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus, meaning that I have believed in Jesus. I have uh, given my life to him. I, I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I somehow raised my hand or something like that. I have become a Christian. That's normally what people mean. But what actually is a disciple? Well, the word disciple means uh, the word in that text, the original word means uh, to learn or a learner. So it would be somebody who's a student. So essentially what this is saying is Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word, you're truly my students. You truly are the ones who are learning from me. You are actually hearing me. You're, you're a disciple. You're a learner. So what would they be learning? What would they be after? What would they be uh, looking for? And Jesus says, uh, if you abide uh, in my word. So there's, there's a teaching. There's a word. If you're living in, if you're staying in, if you're a part of my word, then this is what it means to be a learner. This is what it means to be a student of who I am. But the question is this, why would I want that? 
Why would I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Why would I want to be a disciple of him? Here's the thing. Many of us believe that we have become a disciple, and yet the reality is, is that we've only believed in him. See, what's going on in this passage here is that Jesus knows that these people who have gathered around him <coughs> have heard him, and they hear him speaking, and they've contemplated his words. They've contemplated what he's had to say about the truthfulness of his statements, and what they, what they say to themselves is they say, I believe. I, 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 I believe what he says. I mean, he's believable. And so it says that twice. There's pe- they, they believed him. And so Jesus says to those who had believed him. And so he begins to do something. He begins to almost oversell who he is. I don't know if you've ever seen that show Shark Tank, but we're like addicted to that with our kids. Our kids are loving it. It's, uh, it's totally about American capitalism and greed and all that stuff, but I'm sure it'll be fine. So, but, but one of the things that happens oftentimes is that somebody who's coming to sell their product to these sharks, these business owners, uh, they start to sell and then they don't stop. They continue to sell, they continue to sell, they continue to sell. And normally like Mark Cuban will say, stop selling, stop selling, just be quiet. And it's because they're overselling, they're, they're kind of uh, shooting themselves in the foot, that kind of a thing. And in a sense, if you're looking at this in a worldly way, you would almost say this about Jesus because Jesus is sitting here trying to convince these people. He's using his powers of persuasion. And so he's communicating in a believable way. They believe him, and now it's time to seal the deal. Now it's time to seal the deal. And this is what oftentimes the American church is like. I've heard the message, and I've believed it. Now it's time to seal the deal. You're in. It's done. It's over with. But Jesus just doesn't do that. He wants to go a step further. And his step further is a little bit in your face. He says, if you abide, if you live in my word, if you're living in my teaching, if you stay in my teaching, you're truly my disciples. And then he throws something else in and he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says two things to them. It's cool that you believe in me, but here's the problem. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know the truth. You lack knowledge, which is not a great selling point, by the way. Uh, It's not like Jesus is saying this, but you could almost say that Jesus is saying, here's the problem, you're dumb. All right, you, you just don't have enough knowledge. You don't have the truth, and then secondly, you're not free. And so these people take offense to this. And they say, what do you mean we're not free? We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We've never been a slave. We've never, we've, we've never been in slavery. Jews take very big pride in the fact that Abraham is our father. We've never been slaves of anyone, even though in many respects they were. But they say, we've never been slaves of anyone. And Jesus 
answers them and he says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus points something out to them. See, all of us know the nooks and crannies of our hearts. All of us know where we've come from, what we've done. All of us know our tendencies. And Jesus zeroes in on something and he says, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's not just that you lack knowledge. It's not that you're not free. It's that you are fully enslaved. You are fully enslaved. So here's the thing. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Think about my life here for a second. As I was growing up, I was the number three child. And you know, you know, we kind of get left with the leftovers. Parents forget about us. There's almost no pictures of us. You know, we've really had a hard life at this point. So hey, anybody else relate with me? You know, middle child? Yeah, that's me. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll wallow together later. But um, so here I am, a middle child. And basically, I learned from my oldest brother. In fact, both of my older brothers. But really, my oldest brother became my teacher. He became my mentor. My oldest brother taught me about sex. He taught me about drugs. He taught me about alcohol. He gave me a passion for working on cars. He gave me a passion for uh, looking down on authority. He gave me a passion for anger and for violence. That when someone hits you, hit them back harder. Get a bigger stick or go get your gun. This, my, my brother taught me how to be a worldly man. My brother taught me these things. And as I went on in life, I got into high school, and my, uh, my desire to be like my brother grew so much. And then my second oldest brother, who was in school with me at that point, I wanted to emulate them so much, and I was really good at it. And so what that meant is that meant smoking weed, drinking. Uh, it meant uh, skipping class a lot. It meant partying. It meant all of those things. And so I became a disciple of my brother's. Until what happened was I dropped out of school, as I said. I dropped out of school. Life became untenable. I was working construction. I was roofing. Very lucrative career if you've never done that. Uh, you should try sometime. But I became a construction worker at this point, and I would get paid like every day. And so it was beer money to get the money. And here I am as a 15, I think it was a 14 or 15-year-old uh, man, man, young man. And I've got beer money every day. And uh, I'm partying, I'm out of high school, I'm not doing anything, and my life was going down the tubes. And so one day, I've told this story before, you might, have, uh, re might remember it, but my oldest brother came to me and said, your aunt wants you to go to Texas and go back to school. And the only reason that I can think of that I did that is because he, is, he was my discipler, and by the grace of God, I said, okay, I will do that. So I moved to Texas. And now I took on a whole new scheme of things. It took a while for my brother's discipleship to wear off of my life, his teaching in my life. But now I enter into a family that has uh, valedictorians in it, uh, pre-med uh, people, you know, people who do amazing things in school. These are my cousins. 
my aunt who, who is, you know, and, and incredible at school, etc. And so here I am, I begin to be mentored and to be uh, discipled by my aunt, my uncle, my cousins. And so I take on a new life, and that new life began to grow on me to the point where I got straight A's, and to the point where I uh, became a good student. And then we could go on from there. I came back home, began to be discipled by some friends. I began to backslide a little bit. As I said, didn't actually finish high school on time. I, I waffled there a little bit at the end. But then I, I went on, I got into construction, I began to be discipled by people that I really wanted to be like, and so I began to say, this is my purpose in life, I want to be about construction, I want to be about that. But then, that seemed purposeless and, and meaningless in my life, and so I then decided, okay, I want to be in ministry, and so I then began to be discipled by people in ministry. And then I became a pastor, and then I became a disciple of other men who are in ministry. See, everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is a disciple. There's people who've taught you along the way how to live, how to learn. They, talk, they, they, they might have taught you about sex, about drugs, about alcohol, about how to work, about a work ethic, about all of these things, everyone is a disciple of someone. We most, in a most pronounced way, we see this discipleship from our family, turn to our friends and to our social groups as we detach from our family and move to these social groups in junior high. It's very pronounced as we see it in our lives. And here's the thing. Every discipleship process has these things in common. There's an ethic. Like a, a teaching or a teacher, there's, there's this ethic that we live by. Secondly, there's, there's a purpose or a goal. There's a teaching that leads to a purpose or a goal. It's like, if I do this, then I'll achieve happiness. For me, uh, alcohol, drugs, sex, um, uh, anger, violence, uh, trucks, uh, doing whatever I wanted, that is what the goal was. It was, it was power. It was pleasure, it was being out of my mind, it was all of those things. And so that's, that's, that was the ethic, that was the, I'm sorry, that was the purpose, that was the goal. I was taught by this person, my brother. There's a form of worship or a liturgy. There's a way that we go about carrying out our discipleship. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is. There's this type of worship. It's the way that we go about doing life. And then lastly, there's a promise. There's a promise, and the promise is this. If you live according to this ethic, with this purpose or this goal, and you carry out this form of, of worship or liturgy, there's a promise. And the promise often has to do with freedom, with success, with life, with happiness, with self-actualization. It has to do with this idea that, like, if you do these things, then life will turn out okay for you. So if you're a good student, the promise is this, and that is that if you are a good student, you're promised a job. And you think about a few years ago as students were, uh, in fact, I, I think it's even going on today, uh, students in college, they're going to college, they come out of college with a degree, an expensive degree at that, 
And the promise was, be a good student. You will have a great job. Life will be good for you. The promise failed because their degree may not mean anything. They can't get hired, whatever the case may be. But the promise is not fulfilled. And here's the promise, or here's the, the problem, and that is that every form of discipleship outside of Jesus Christ always has an empty promise. It always has an empty promise. And that empty promise will always fail you. It will absolutely always fail you. That form of worship, if you will, will eventually fail you. There's this great quote from David Foster Wallace, who's a, an American novelist. Uh, he ended up committing suicide. But this is what he said in 2005 to the graduating class at Kenyon College. And over worship, maybe think about discipleship. He uses the word worship. He says, everybody worships. This guy's not a Christian that we know of anyway. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive if you worship money and things. If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel like, uh, never feel like you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are default settings. This is somebody who's not a Christian. This is somebody who doesn't believe in the thing that he sees in his life and in the life of all kinds of people, is that they find something to worship. They find something to be discipled by. They find some, a purpose, a goal to live for, and ultimately it eats them alive because there never is enough. Whether it's their looks or whether it's their success or whether it's their friendships or whether it's their happiness or whether it's their family or whether it's whatever it is, it ends up eating them alive because of this. Everybody is a disciple of something and anything else that you are discipled by other than Jesus Christ will eat you alive and enslave you. And that's really one of the most difficult things about this whole passage that you must get over. You must get over the reality that what Jesus is saying about my life as it currently is is that I'm a slave. I'm enslaved. I am not free. And the knowledge, the so-called knowledge that is presented to me in everyday life through all of the various mentors that I've had and that I have is actually not knowledge. It's actually foolishness. 
But wait, Christians, there's more. Many of us walked the aisle. Many of us raised our hand. Many of us gave intellectual assent to the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We've heard the story about Jesus, how Jesus uh, lives a perfect life, and then he goes to the cross, and he says about you and about me, he says, if you receive this by faith, that this is for you, I will pay for your sins on the cross. I have paid for them, I should say. And so, therefore, you can receive that by faith. Now, many people have believed that. They believed him. Those people believed him in that moment. And Jesus says, but wait just one second. Wait just one minute. If you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. See, many of us say, I believe, therefore I'm a disciple. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you stay if you live in, if you're engaged with my word, then you're truly my disciples. But the problem is that many of us say that we're disciples, but we're plagued by passive observation. And passive observation is not discipleship in Jesus Christ. Passive observation is is characterized by people who say, yeah, I believe in him, and yet there's no part of their life that's touched. Passive observation by people who call themselves Christians and may be Christians is characterized by people who say, listen, I, I, I am free. I actually have freedom, and, and I have freedom in Christ, and I'm a Christian because of the family. Do you see what they said? They said, hey, we're children of Abraham. We are God's people. Like, how could you say that we are not free when we've never been slaves of anyone? And Jesus is saying to them, you've believed in me, but you have not learned from me. You have not lived in my word. Men and women, the question is this, are we disciples? Are we disciples? Why would you want to become a disciple of Jesus? Well, ultimately, every single one of us is asking this question. Every single one of us is asking the question, why do I exist? What's my purpose in life? What am I here to do? And how you answer that question determines the direction of your life. It determines whether you live in freedom or whether you live in slavery. How you answer that question determines this. I told you that I've become disciples of various people. Many of those people, other than uh, my early childhood years, pointed me towards God. But there was a part of me that really had become a disciple of a person and not the person, Jesus Christ, the person of Christ. To the point where even I, as a pastor, can become a disciple of a certain sect of religion, if you will, of theology, 
of a certain author, of a pastor. I can be a disciple of that person, which in some senses is good, as long as they're pointing me directly to Jesus. But there's also this thing that I always turn it inward on myself. I always become uh, more obsessed with that person instead of Jesus. Every single one of us is the same. We answer this question oftentimes by saying, I am a disciple of this person. Yes, I believe in Jesus. But the truth is, the way that our life looks, the way that these people, the way that their life looked, shows that we have no place for his word in our lives, as it says in verse 38. And Jesus says in verse 39, he said, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now, what are the works that Abraham did? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We just covered this in Genesis chapter 15 and throughout. And it basically says this, that Abraham believed God by faith. He had faith in him. What Jesus just pointed out here is this, is that if you were really the true children of Abraham, then you would be doing what Abraham did. If you really had faith the way that Jesus, the way that Abraham had faith, then you would be acting like Abraham, but that's not who you are. And here's the thing with us, is that we could say, I have the right pedigree. I was raised in the church. I've been in the church. I come to church every Sunday. And <coughs> the truth is that you and I have just believed without ever becoming a disciple, a learner. And the truth is about you and I is that we live in slavery. We can say, listen, maybe I wasn't raised in the church, but I'm a moral person. I'm somebody who doesn't cheat people, and I'm somebody who does what's right, and, I've, and they, you know, I'm, I contribute to society, and I support good things. And we can say all of those things. We can say, I've got it together. I've got all of these things. But the truth about us is that Jesus says, you do not know the truth. You've been sold a bill of goods. You've been sold a series of promises, a way to worship, a liturgy. You've been sold an ethic, a purpose in life. And the truth is, is that your goal is not Jesus. And in the end, what happens is this, is that you're enslaved. You're enslaved. See, everybody worships. Everybody's a disciple. And if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, you're enslaved. And we can see it through our lives. Until what happens is this, is what happens when we don't measure up? What happens when we don't meet the goal, when we don't get the job after all of the schooling and the school debt? What happens when our goal has always been to have a family? Family is, is my purpose. It's my mission. What happens when I can't have a family because I can't have kids? Which is really difficult for some of you, and I feel for you big time. But what happens? What happens when you don't measure up when that's been the only thing in your life that you've ever, ever looked up, 
look forward to? What happens when you don't get a spouse when you thought you were going to? You went to Corbin all four years and you didn't get a ring by spring? What happens when the guy or the girl that you did get just cheated on you? What happens when your, all of your success and all of your efforts and all of your work goes down the drain like that because someone sued you and took your business out from underneath you and sued the pants off you? Or the economy drops out and you lose your job in a moment and before too long, you have lost your house and you've lost your car and you've lost everything, and your family begins to have problems because you have nothing. What happens when you don't measure up? See, men and women, there are moments when you get what you want and you think that you, you've been worshiping this God, you've been worshiping this person who's discipling you, you've been worshiping this way of life, and it goes well for a time but it is enslaving you and it is a lie. And the sun has not set you free and you are enslaved indeed. What happens? Jesus says this. Jesus says, I'm different than any taskmaster that you have. The ethic, the teaching, the purpose, the goal, the worship, the liturgy, the promise. I'm different than any evil taskmaster, any slave master that you could follow. Forget about the fact that you've believed at some point. Jesus is inviting you into relationship with him. And he's saying, I am different than all of them. When he says this... In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see what that's saying? It's saying, Every other taskmaster has a yoke that makes you heavy laden. It does not give you rest. It, 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 yes, it causes you to, to learn from that. You learn a new way of life. But it is not gentle. It is not lowly in heart. You're not going to find rest for your souls. The, the yoke of that the thing that goes over the head of the oxen that pulls the cart, the yoke of that is not easy. The burden is not light. The yoke and the burden of saying, family will be my goal, my mission, my life. What happens when it doesn't succeed? Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. He says, Come to me, everyone who's weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. No one else can give you rest. There is no rest in any other 
discipleship, in any other teacher, in any other way of life, there is no rest. You feel stressed out? There's a reason for it. Jesus is your discipler, and you are not following him. You've been coming to church with passive observation. You've been viewing from afar this Jesus. You, you believe that he went to the cross, but you've never entered into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And your life is showing the results. You're enslaved. You do not know the truth. But when you come to know Jesus, and more than come to know him, but to go on knowing him. It's not just a, a one and done kind, type of thing, which is what Christianity has been sold as. I got to tell you this. If you're hearing me today and you're sitting here and you're saying, yes, I prayed a prayer at some point, but there's been no discernible difference in my life. There's been no discernible difference between when I prayed this prayer and who I am today other than I hang out with different people. But the truth is, I don't live in, reside in, lay in, allow it to wash over me the word of Christ. And the truth is, you've just believed. It's not just a one and done thing. It's a lie that evangelicalism has sold. The church has sold for many years and continues to sell off and on at different times. It is an ongoing relationship. I'm not saying that that prayer wasn't meaningful. I'm not saying that the reality of it isn't true and that is that you are saved. But if you are truly his, if you are truly saved, then I'm speaking to you this morning and I'm hoping that the Spirit of God is speaking to your ears right now to awaken your soul and to say, I'm done with easy believism. I'm done with cheap grace. I'm done with this idea that I'm just going to come and passively observe and I'm going to enter into what is discipleship, which is active participation with Jesus. How do we become a disciple? It's not a one and done thing. It's not just believing. It's not growing up in, in, in the right family. It's not being a, a child of, of Abraham in that sense. It's this. What's, what's the word? If you abide in my word, what's the word? Is it Jesus teaching? Because the truth is that you can hear everything that I'm saying. You can feel this, this conviction, the conviction of, of this. I am enslaved by sin. Matt, you, you are right. I, I, uh, I, I'm a disciple of this way of life. I'm, I'm up to my neck in Republican politics, and I can't get over it. I'm like, that's all that I care about. That's, that's, that's who I am. Or I'm, I'm up to my neck in, in work, and I can't stop working. I'm not really discipling my kids. I'm going to let somebody else do that. And, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. So what, Matt, what do I got to do? What, what needs to happen? And so this is the perfect time to tell you that you can't do anything. That's it. Sorry. It's a real bummer sermon, isn't it? <laughs> ah, dang it. 
if you're there, you're hosed. I mean, it's just... I, the, the truth is, is that if you're there in, in that lifestyle, you don't have a leg to stand on. You, you, you don't have a leg to stand on because there is no teaching to give you that is going to take you from being a zero to a hero. You can't get there by trying to be a moral person. You cannot get there through moral conformity. See, that's what most people believe, is that like, okay, Matt, you're telling me I, I stink. You're telling me I'm a slave. You're telling me I'm not free uh, and that I can't do anything about it. There's got to be something. Well, there is, but, but, but it can't come from you. It can't be you. See, when you're a slave to sin, there's nothing that you can do to remove yourself from slavery. Did you see what Jesus said in the middle here? Truly, I, I say to you, verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. He equates this with slavery from his day. Saying that the, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So there's a position of power. And that is that there's a son. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We were just singing about that. And he, so here's the thing, is that you and I are hosed. We're slaves to sin. We're not free. We don't have knowledge. We've been told lies. We're beginning to realize it. And so here we are in this position. We have no way to get out of this. But it says this, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. If the Son is the one who sets you free, you can't get out of this slavery thing on your own. It has to be only through Jesus. And that's what Jesus says, if you abide in my word. What's the word? What's the word, Jesus? Well, in the beginning of John's gospel... John says this, John 1, 1 through uh, verse 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jehovah's Witness add a God. That is not what it is. That's not in the original translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who is this God? Who is this guy? It's talking about Jesus. It's saying, in the beginning was Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is the Word. He's the action of God. Jesus is the Word of God, and He is God. He's in the beginning with God. He's the Creator God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. This is the God. Go back and read John 8, 31. If you abide in my Word, Jesus is not saying, hey, you need a teaching to train you so that you can be a better person and try to be like me. Jesus is saying, you need me. You need Jesus. See, it's not that 
You need a new set of teaching. It's that you need Jesus himself. See, the problem with not being a disciple is not that I just need more teaching. It's that I need to know Jesus. It's that I need relationship with Jesus. I need to internalize. I need to abide in Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Now, how do we do that? Well, it begins with this. It begins with understanding. Without the Son, you will not be free. You need Jesus. You are enslaved and you need Jesus. And Jesus did something about that, and it is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, it has to start with his gospel truth. That's the beginning point. And that is where we will be next week. You might say, I already know the gospel. I got to tell you something. If you can say that about the gospel, if you can say, yeah, yeah, I know it, there might be a problem. There might be an issue. Next week, we're going to be talking about his story, what it looks like to know the story of Jesus Christ not just as something that happened then, but something that is happening to me on a regular basis. I implore you to please be here so that we can be unified as a church, so that you can begin to operate not as a passive observer, but as an active participant in the life of Jesus Christ in his word. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I don't know to what degree each of us are here saying that the, the truth is, is that we vacillate between being discipled by you and being discipled by this world, being discipled by, by someone or something, some way of living. Lord, I'm praying that you would break us of this. That, Lord, in an ongoing way, that we would begin to awaken from this stupor of slavery that we've entered into. And, Lord, that you would bring about freedom in you. In who you are. And so, Lord, we pray for that this morning. Lord, for those that came in here, without any saving faith, people that came in that don't really have a relationship with you. Lord, I'm praying that this morning that they, if, if, if they are in this place where they're saying, I think he's right about this whole idea of I'm discipled by someone. I see it in my life. Lord, I'm praying that they would begin to consider your claim of freedom that their current life is slavery and that you're offering freedom through the cross, that they cannot do it on their own. They cannot become more moral. They cannot live up to some standard, that you're the only one who's done this. And Lord, that they would, 
receive you by faith, basically believe in you and say, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a learner. Show me how to do that. And Lord, I pray that they'd make themselves known in this church. Lord, we ask that you would instill in us a deep passion for your name and for uh, being disciples of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.